Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, team formation. How big? In today's discussion, we describe how big a size to team when forming it. Before we go on, a quick reminder about our Effective Manager Conference coming up in Atlanta, Georgia on 24 September. Hey, if you listen to the basics about one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation, and you're still having trouble implementing it, the Effective Manager Conference might be just what you're looking for. Hope to see you there. Details are on the website, www.managertools.com. All right, here we go with today's cast. Do you ever get the question from folks about size of teams? You know, when you're like when you're forming a team, like how big it ought to be. Yeah, like all the time. <laughs> yeah, and the, the problem, of course, is that. I don't know. People ask me, I, there's really no ideal size. It depends on a whole bunch of factors. And unfortunately, of course, that doesn't do our listeners real a whole lot of good because we can't talk to every single one of them individually. Yeah. The answer it's it's not, it's not helpful uh, to say, well, there's no ideal size, but you know, what I wish people would say is how big should I make this team I'm forming? Because that's something we can help with in terms of, okay, let's look at the parameters and then we can probably come up with the right number. But look, it's, it's simple. If you've got to form a team and you're wondering how to do it, we're going to make it as easy as possible, at least to look at the first steps of it. Um, because this cast starts the process of giving guidance about how big it should be. And in the interest of time and space, let's, let's, let's get right to it. We have four recommendations and, uh, the, the first three are easily actionable and they are number one is start at eight people and that includes the leader by the way eight people um that's our experience number two 15 a team of 15 people is too big for 95 percent of the professionals we know and yet we see just as many teams started with 15 as we do with eight which drives us crazy um number three all teams need one leader don't start messing with structure by thinking you can have multiple leaders and the leader makes a big, big difference. And then uh, point four in this cast is just some background notes to help people understand a little bit about the numbers and the org theory and so on. But we put that last because we want to be actionable right up front. Good. Okay. So let's talk about that number eight, starting with eight people on the team. I mean, there must be a lot of academics around this stuff, a lot of, a lot of background, a lot of organizational theory. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people saying a lot of things out there. So, yeah. In fact, when I, when we first talked about this cast, I said, look, let, you know, let's go through all that. Let's build our case. And, you know, it's in my head, it's helpful to persuade people by showing them the background and so on. But, you know, we've learned over the years that um, managers want answers and not organizational theory. So that's why we start by saying, if you want to know what to do when you're forming a team, start with a blank slate of eight people on that team. And again, that includes the leader. It's not eight plus one, okay? Now, is that the perfect answer? No, because like we said at the top of the cast, there is no perfect answer. The number of factors we could consider to get our answer run into the hundreds if you want to listen to the academics, the organizational design folks, and so on. Smart people, all of them, I'm sure. But there are all kinds of factors they want us to consider. 
But if you want a different way of thinking about it, our recommendation is put as many people on the team as needed to get the work done and not one person more on pain of death. We got to call that the on pain of death rule. <laughs> um, Sounds pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason we started with the number eight is because over the years, when we have given out this guidance, the the not one more person on pain of death guidance, frankly, you know, my, we've gotten the sense that many, many managers don't know how many people a given task or a project is going to require. Oh, certainly executives and, and, and um, managers who are about to become executives generally know because they've done it several times and they have a rough sense of scope and scale, but they not only don't know how many people should be on it, they also may not know how to determine what to consider in terms of how many people to put on a team. And if you're wondering about that, it's not in this cast. The prime consideration is really skills. What skills do we need to accomplish this objective? But again, that's for that's for another show. So for our guidance is, you know, the number of people required to get the task done and not one more person on pain of death, then why not just leave it at that? Why why say eight? Yeah. But, well, again, because if we say the other, then people end up all over the map because they don't know the underlying rationale. The real overarching reason is that in our experience, after years and years and years of watching teams be formed and helping organizations form sub-organizations and new divisions and so on, is that eight seems to be the sweet spot which balances effectiveness, getting stuff done, and efficiency. We mean that if we go much bigger than eight for most managers most of the time, internal issues Failures in intra-team communication, starting to decrease the marginal value of any new member. These failures essentially reduce any gain you get in more effectiveness by the friction, by the efficiency issues when you add more people. Look, we might think that more is better, right? More people, more work getting done, and therefore more effectiveness, but th- there's a sense of th- we we don't see that when you start adding more people. For most managers, seven people on a manager's team or on a project manager's team is a full time job, and they they can't deal with what begins to happen when the team gets bigger, which is it it, it begins to collapse on itself. Now most people would say, "Gosh, collapse at seven or eight? Say, well, I'm sorry, I mean that that's what our experience shows. Now. On the other hand, you know, so, so going more than eight starts to impinge upon efficiency, which ends up affecting effectiveness because we're all spending more and more time on internal issues. On the other hand, when we start dropping below eight, again, all things being equal, same manager, same situation, average manager, whatever. And as we've said many, many times before, all things are not ever equal we begin to see a loss of effectiveness. In other words, there tends to be not enough folks to do the kind of work that causes a team to be considered to be formed to begin with. So it's a question of if you get much bigger, things start to become harder to manage. That's an oversimplification. And if you get much smaller than that, you don't have enough people to get the work done. Because what we find is if it's just two or three people that need the work done, organizations don't form a new team. Right. Right. They don't, they're not authorized or it doesn't happen. And so you have to be almost past four in most cases to get the sense of, oh, yeah, we've got to have a new organization. I'm not talking about a part of the org structure. I'm just talking about even a temporary team or a work group or whatever. 
the organization feels like, well, if it's just four, it's ad hoc and, you know, some individual could probably gather some people together and collaborate and make something happen. And again, we'll talk more at the end of the show about some of the academics thoughts on these numbers. Okay. Well, if eight is the the number we recommend, there, there's got to be an upper limit to the size of teams we'd recommend. You know, for example, I mean, yeah. I know a lot of managers, <laughs> for example, if you got a, if a new project and it's one of those projects that's hot, funding is for all intents and purposes, for you at least, feels like it's unlimited. Right. You can build as big a team as you want. Why not go out and hire 50 people or have a 50 person team? Yeah. And let, let's be clear, you know, you said hiring and this certainly could apply to hiring, but we're really thinking about just forming a team internally without the the baggage of hiring. Look, the fact is we've seen far too many managers and executives take advantage of all the budget they've got, right? Your, your thought of this, you know, this seems like it's a pretty big deal. And so they're going to give me what I want. And then they overdo it by getting lots of people on board a team. Look, folks, we agree with taking all the budget you're given. Nothing wrong with giving some budget back because you don't spend it all. But getting too many people on the team because you have a big budget is a bad idea. More budget is generally a good thing. Money, in general, buys speed of execution, and it sometimes buys quality. But more money spent on people forming a team is only good up to a point. Now, somebody's probably thinking, well, wait, why would I spend money on a team if they're already employees? Well, we're talking about budget for someone's assigned to your team. And so for some period of time, your organization is going to pay them, or we're going to have a couple people assigned to it. And and, and we have to agree that the, the budget is not real, but the amount of money we give you, part of that money is going to be funny money that you're, you're going to have to pay people out of, even though they're going to still get paid by their old organization. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. We're not talking about spending money to buy 50 consultants, although that could be the case. Getting 15 external consultants is even worse than having 15 internal people. So, Money is good. More money is better. Um, but that's not, doesn't necessarily translate into if I've got a big budget, therefore I can have a lot of people. Because what we find out, spending more money on people is only good up to a point, And that point is about eight. And again, it goes back to our earlier point. It seems logical, right? More people means more work getting done. But look, I don't, you know, I don't think we, we have to convince anybody. All of us have plenty of experience in thousands of ad hoc situations in our day-to-day lives where there are 10 people having to do something. I mean, it could be painting a house. It could be cleaning up a blighted spot somewhere. It could be moving tables and chairs for a meeting, whatever it is. And out of those 10, there are three to four to five people who are quite busy and several others who are wandering around wondering what to do. And okay, you know, I'll, I'll buy it when somebody says, well, wait, Mark, that's different work styles. And some people need leadership. Other people apply leadership. So great, right? No, no problem. But we still think a lot of it has to do with the size of that team and the clarity of purpose everybody in the team has. And frankly, why would the team not have a clarity of purpose? Either because there is no purpose or because the purpose has not been communicated. And the more people you have on a team, it's hard to communicate clearly to everyone. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm going to save you from having to say this because um, you get to be the, the dark mark every, occasionally. But yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be dark Mike here for a second because in our experience, most managers out there are frankly not capable of leading effectively teams of 15 or more folks. Right? They just can't do it. They're, they're not equipped to do it. 
Yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you why. I agree completely, and, and I wish it were not so. But again, we've said it before, we're realists here, and if wishes were horses, beggars would ride, right? The fact is, is that I think part of it is that most managers still think of themselves as working managers, as opposed to working managers, meaning the more time you spend on managing, the more likely you are to get better results from your team and you can actually delegate more of your work and end up with doing less work and more management stuff, which is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You end up really becoming a full-time manager. You'll still have work to do. They just haven't bought fully into the idea that spending more time on getting better as managers will essentially get more work done. So most of us, if we've never led 15 people before, are going to do a very poor job of it. Yeah, look, most executives who are effective could do it, but most managers can't do it well in our experience. There are places where they can. There are organizations that train their folks really, really well, and, and they're good at it. And that's a wonderful thing. We, we like greater capacity, greater capabilities. We can, you can tell uh, what I said is true just by the looks of on people's faces at our conferences or in our corporate engagements when we talk about having to do if you remember folks our definition of an effective manager is is pretty clear weekly one-on-ones tons of feedback always coaching and delegating a lot right at first when we talk about doing one-on-ones with folks they go like oh my god I couldn't possibly do 30 minutes with each of my folks every single week. I've got six people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, which, which you know, I there's a part of me that rolls my eyes at that, and there's a part of me that says, thank you for saying it, because it keeps me in touch with, you know, it helps remind me, Mark, don't fall victim to academic creep, and just recognize that's where that manager is. And whether we like it or not, whether we think they're they should be there or not, they are, right? They believe that three hours a week would simply be impossible for them to do. And again, I, I do think there's a big component of that, which is, well, I have work to do. And they, they don't realize that they can do less and less work and more and more management, not suggesting that management is not work, but rather when, we, when I say work, we mean individual tasks that contribute to the larger organization that is not about getting more out of other people. And look, there's something else, too. I, I've noticed this. When you get much past about 10, 10 people, team leaders and, and managers, frankly, often tend to see the only way to communicate with, quote, everyone on the team is by calling a meeting. If you only have five or six or seven, you could probably have two little small ad hoc moments where you talk to people and you're fine and everybody gets the deal. When you get to 10, when you get to 12, certainly when you get to 15, managers say, oh, I've got to have a meeting. we got to get everybody together. And part of that is management weakness in terms of active communication and, and then following up to make sure communication is done well and so on. And the problem, of course, with this is that meetings are generally not well run, right? We've talked about that before. Managers don't understand that meetings are designed to be for reporting on past work that's been accomplished and then also on deciding, not on doing things, but on deciding things deciding who's going to do future work in the form of assigning deliverables and considering resources and so on. So what happens is when you get to 10, and again, when, definitely when you get to 15, suddenly the pace of the team's work suddenly gets it gets as slow as the time between meetings. If you've ever been part of a dysfunctional team, you've seen this happen. Not a lot of work is getting done and everyone is waiting for the next meeting while also dreading the next meeting. 
based on the number of times it's happened in our experience, it is a natural management response to say, oh, we need to start having more meetings, which is essentially ineffective. Well, part of that also, there's got to be something here relative just to the sheer number of connections between people on a 15-person team, just in terms of communications, right? Yeah, I, you know, 15. I, I, when I talk about 15, I just say, you know, I hope people heard us when we said 95% of the managers, professionals we know could not run a 15-person team effectively. But um, basically, yeah, you're, you're getting to Horseman's Law of Relationship Numbers. There's another problem. Managers don't keep up with everybody. And when they don't, when one or two or three people are out of the loop and they're not included, fact is we don't have a team anymore, really. And look, okay, fine. We call it a team. In fact, we've called it a team this whole cast. But 99% of the groups we know are not teams. And calling something a team that's really a work group or an ad hoc or whatever is, is counterproductive when everybody knows it isn't the team to begin with. Right. Well, one of the things I've found in, in terms of when teams start getting above really, frankly, around 10 or so is what happens is 10 or so people are getting work done. But after that point, once it starts getting bigger, then managers feel that they got to add something to the team just to help facilitate the communications and the getting work done. So, for example, you know, PMO or project management organizations are often one of the first things that come out. Or you need help with communications with customers, for example. So you see one person added simply to be the funnel of communications to the customer. I need to have reporting done to keep everybody in sync. So what happens is you start adding people to the team to to build this kind of infrastructure around and they're yeah. you're and you're adding one person for like probably about 0.5 persons worth of, of benefit and it just becomes additional baggage to the team yeah um what's frustrating for me about that is that people don't see it they they know it's happened before they've been on a team they've seen some other manager add these extra people that are infrastructure, if you will, that are all about the internal machinations of the team. And they just take it for granted. They think of it as being part of a team. That's what teams include. And the fact is, that's not so. And it's because of the size of the team. So yeah, everybody says, hey, it'll make us more efficient, right? But those folks don't add value. They're supposed to make the team run more smoothly, but they're overhead. I shouldn't say overhead, but on a small scale, that's essentially what they are, right? It's probably worthwhile thinking about it that way. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And 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 when you start doing that, I think your point is when you start doing that, it's a sign you've got too many people. Now, it may be that the amount of work you've got, you need 200 people, but that's not a team, obviously. That's an entire organization. Right. Okay, so I got a solution for you. This is really easy. And I've seen it done before many times. I'll reserve my comments on how well it worked for in a little bit, but we need 20 people on this team. So what we'll do is we'll, t- we'll put two in a box <laughs> and kind of, you know, it, just to, to even out the workload and make it a little bit easier to manage. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is that I, I'd be willing to bet you two. In, and let me say, make it clear two in a box for folks who don't understand. Well, no, no, no. Hold, but before, before you tell them, I'd be willing to bet right now that less than half of the people listening know what two in a box is. Right. And I think that's important because here, here you are saying, well, the solution is to go to two in a box. And people say, gee, I don't even know what two in a box is. Well, 
Mike's about to define it, and the point is, if it sounds good to you when he defines it, that's a sign that this cast will be helpful to you when you're forming your next team. Because if you were allude, if, if you were leaning to doing something like that, we can tell you it doesn't work. So now, go ahead, Mike. Well, it's pretty simple, right? So think of an organizational chart, and at the top, there's a box that represents the leader or the manager or team lead of the group, and simply put two people in there to share the leadership responsibilities of the team. Yeah. Great idea. It does not work. Uh, there, there are examples. People say, oh, look at these two partners, right? And, and, and by the way, M- M- Mike and I are not two in a box, right? Look at these two people who led this organization, right? That, that's not what internal people say. One person was in charge. One person had more power. One person absolutely made the difference. And it looks like two in the box because they're brilliant at collaboration. And I know about 20 people in the world personally that are brilliant in collaboration. Our point here is all teams need one, that is a unitary number, one leader. And, and look, we say it because organizations mess this up. We form the team and we think, well, we only have room for seven, so it's not really clear. So we'll give two people leadership. We'll make them co-leaders in order to satisfy these two different warring factions or whatever. Uh, we can't pick between these two. We'll make them, we'll make them co-managers. We need both of their skill sets. So we'll have nine people as opposed to eight. And, and look, nine is fine, right? If the, if you start with eight and you end up at nine for your team, that's fine. We're not suggesting that things start crumbling to, to des- you know, total desolation when you go from eight to nine. But another example of this is two in a box, three in a box, or we won't have a leader at all. It'll, everybody on the team will just be peers. And what's funny about that actually is that true teams are so rare Everybody remembers the one that they were on. And technically, in most professional organizations, having a boss, based on most academics' understanding of what a team really is, having a boss means it's really not a team. And and we've alluded to this before. We're really not forming teams here. We're forming a small sub-organization of the larger organization. And, and the title, the appellation that has the most positive emotional content associated with it is team. But teams are rare, and we're really not forming one. And the point here is human beings want and need and crave some basic amount of vertical structure. And in in a group of four or eight or 15, that structure to most human brains, whether we like to admit it or not, is one person in charge. If you give them two, you're already uh, splitting the team and the team will have more internal strife and conflict. So our recommendation is you assign one person as the leader of the team or to use a different language, the sub-organization. Now, look, you you might think this is overkill, right? Because many people who are listening says, yeah, yeah, I know that because I've seen many multiple headed teams fail. But it's not it's not overkill here because it leads us to a valuable lesson about team size. And and this is something we've alluded to before whom we pick as the leader does affect the size of the team that can be effective. Yeah. Some of us can, right. Some of us can handle 15 people. And, and it's, you know, to, to our point earlier, it's about one in 20. Uh, That's our, that's our, you know, our estimate. Yeah. Some, yeah, some can do that, but some can't even handle four. So, okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and if you say, well, Mark and Mike said eight, and so I'm going to do eight and then I'm going to put somebody in charge who can't handle four. That's not our recommendation. That's why our third recommendation, our first recommendation is eight. Start with eight. Our second recommendation is don't get near 15 because nobody can do that. But 
The third one is make sure you pick a singular leader. And when you pick that leader, that gives you an upper limit and a lower limit. Now, it may be that the skill analysis, again, separate cast, would suggest you only need four when in fact you've got a leader that can handle 12. Fine. But what you don't want is a leader can handle four with a team that this, whose skills require 12. And so it just basically gives us guidance about how far above eight we could go without affecting effectiveness or efficiency. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here because you know, everybody knows you you write the show notes and you write the content. And, you know, of course, we, we talk about and we talk about my experience relative to this stuff. And I'm going yeah. on a limb here because you listed this as, as kind of number three and kind of considering the size of the team. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, this is, in my experience, the number one thing, which is who's the leader and how much can they handle? And right. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if it takes 15 people to do the job and the manager can't handle more than four, then he's only getting four. And I'm going to figure out yeah. some other way, some other way of organizing to get the other work done. But to take somebody who can't handle four and give them 15 simply because the jo job requires 15 is, in my experience, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you and I agree. There's a reason why we're putting this third rather than first is because most people couldn't have heard it first. People want a number. So we've given you a number, eight. We believe that number will serve you well many, many, many times. And then we've given you this additional guidance. And it's not like number one is everything and two and three are afterthoughts. That's why number four in our uh, notes today, in our outline, our background notes, that is something way down the list. But one, two, and three are at the top of the list. And that's why leaders picking the leader is in the top three. But most people want a number. And the reason they want a number is they've got a, a line and block chart in their head and they're wondering, okay, how am I going to fill it up? And do I have a scope problem? And, you know, I can't get to eight. I don't have eight or whatever. Or, or do I think I can get the work done? Uh, and again, this whole skill analysis is for a different cast. But the point here is if we said choose your leader and everything else follows from that, uh, many managers would say, but I'm not going to get to pick the leader or or I don't know who the leader might be or I'm, I'm uncertain about this or they're coming from another organization and it's collaborative and that will take a while, but they're needing budget stuff. Now, the organization behaves as if the people who have power to do this behave as if humans are simply resources as opposed to individual people with widely varying capacities and capabilities. One of the things we are, you know, we, we talk about all the time is that if you're forming a new division, right? When, when, if somebody says, I want to do a reorg, what people don't understand is that the, the company structure that you're looking at now, in two years, it'll be different at the very top because people at the very top know you don't build a, a rigid structure. You start with an idea for the structure based on what makes sense in the marketplace in terms of the interface between the organization and its customers, the organization and the outside external forces. And then you put people in slots and then you start making changes. And so you find that when the EVP of sales and marketing last time was a fabulous marketer, then marketing had some additional stuff reporting to it to help her develop um, because the company thought, man, she had a chance of being COO. On the other hand, now that the new person is the EVP of sales and marketing is a fabulous salesperson, the marketing organization is going to get a key person reporting to him to bolster some of his abilities.
And those, and people say, well, gee, why are they making structural changes? Because no structure makes sense for any group of people in it. It simply does not. So right. you're right. That if we could get away with helping people understand why we would say that first, we would say it first. But in my experience, managers want a number, and that's why we started with eight. But if you ask me which one makes the most difference in terms of outcome, if you're between four and 15 – or let me make it simpler. If you're between six and 12, but, but again, my, I mean, most people don't know that. If you're between six and 12, then you're probably fine. And you could probably get away with a leader who can handle six if you've got 10 on the team. It'll be a struggle and it'll be very inefficient and probably ugly for you if that leader reports to you. On the other hand, if you don't have any number at all, yeah, then the leader pays an enormous amount of difference. And, and smart listeners will say, well, okay, if I have the ability, I'm going to pick the leader first, then I have a sense of scope and scale. And then I, if I've got a problem with the amount of work, then I'm quickly going to say, okay, do I need a different leader or do I need a different budget or how am I going to handle the balance between leader and capabilities? Right. And for those of you who, who are thinking that the constraint of only building organizations that the, the leader can effectively lead or manage, if you think that's a significant constraint, you're right, it is. And hence why manager tools exist. It's a terrible yeah. constraint. And the only way yeah. to, to, to overcome it is not to ignore it, but rather to build a system of management where people can more effectively manage large organizations to the point where if it needs 15 people, you have a manager who can manage 15 people. And exactly. without a system of management, it's difficult to do. Yeah. So, yeah. so now, now, now might be a good time to talk a little bit about some of the backgrounds underlying our ideas here now that we've gotten through the actionable part. Yeah, yeah. And the three points again, start with eight. 15 is nearly impossible for the vast majority of us. And a single leader makes a difference in success and, and in the top end of a successful team's size. So let's just talk a little bit about the why that supports some of our recommendations here. First of all, historically, eight has been the academically derived magic number. If you ask most organizational structure experts, they'll tell you the ideal team size is eight as we do, but they get it in a far different way than we do. Frankly, this is one of those many places where academia and even research fail the business world too often. The problem with the general belief of eight it is, based, is, is it's based on research done in the military. And yes, the military is a large, vertically structured organization. Believe, Folks, actually, some of the early work Part of the reason they chose the military is because the military is a great place to do research because people can say, you will do this. And there's generally, in, in most situations, a lack of a ne impact negatively on morale if the leader says, nope, this is what we're going to do. Hey, we've got this expert in here. He's going to be watching us for a few weeks. Give him everything you need he needs. And, the, the, and in the military, that gets done. Whether it's good or bad, it gets done. And the military is quite similar to most large businesses or nonprofits. So you'd say, well, okay, good. You know, the, the verticalness is there. And so it should carry over the, the, the recommendations that they would make. And some of you might laugh. Uh, there are people who are listening who might laugh and, and, and uh, about, about the idea that the military is similar to the business world. But, but take it from two of us, Mike and I both, with experience in both places, the military organizations of the world are every bit as professional. We're talking about, you know, the top 100 militaries in the world, they are absolutely professional and they're every bit as employee smart as many other large organizations. But one place where they're absolutely different is in communication. 
the army, the U.S. Army, where Mike and I were, trains and trains and trains and trains around nothing but communication at times. We trained on how to communicate, and we did it over and over and over again and practiced over communicating routinely. Today, frankly, what most highly trained professional military organizations would consider poor communication, other organizations would consider fabulous. Communication is a human behavior, and uh, behavior will tend to seek its lowest ground in many, many cases, unless you train for it, unless you make it a core um, skill, and that takes time, and you have to invest in it, and the militaries do. And the problem here is because team size is tethered inextricably to communication, the data that everyone cites about eight people on a team is accurate because it's true. That's what they found in the military. But it's flawed in terms of guidance elsewhere because the people they were they were talking about, age in the military, communicated exceptionally well relative to an organization of eight in a corporate or a nonprofit organization. If you communicate well, you can handle more than an organization that doesn't communicate well. So eight seems about right. And most people would say, yeah, I could handle eight. But please understand it was based on a faulty premise because communication is core to success. And there's a completely different standard of communication in the military than there is in the corporate world. Yeah. Now you tell me earlier that there's some research out there that suggests that the real numbers is closer to four than it is eight. And that surprised me. I, I hadn't heard. Yeah. That. And that's another thing that led, you know, that, that causes us, you know, sometimes to be cautious about some of our recommendations. Um, but we've learned over and over again that really it, it's, it's another research academia thing. We won't dispute the research, but we're going to say that this is one of those cases where just because the experiment was valid, it, you know, it follows all appropriate professional experiments. It doesn't mean that it's teaching us anything useful. Four might be a good number. But, but think about this for a second, folks. Imagine an organization built on the one manager to four directs model. If its competitors can find and train people and managers who can handle eight, which is not unreasonable in our opinion, uh, the eight to one ratio company is going to crush the four to one ratio company. And, and look, all you have to look at is costs and flexibility uh, to see the eight to, eight to one model works better. Okay. So if that's true, then my 15 to one ratio company is going to crush your eight to one ratio. Yeah, exactly. Right. That would, again, that, but, but that law of diminishing returns, we discovered most managers can't do that. Right. So in theory, that's true, but, but it boils down to a case of behavior communication being one example, manager, most managers can't do that as we said earlier. And frankly, I doubt most managers will be able to in 30 years. So it's a nice idea. It would be better if we all could, but we can't. And so let's be realistic about it. So in the end, you're telling me that it really boils down to the ability of the leader as the, as the factor here. Yeah. Look, the, the thing that they don't talk about in all the research is the, the, the missing factor in these ideal numbers is leader ability. Studies try to eliminate it, but the fact is leader ability, manager ability, executive ability, supervisory ability is one of the fundamental competitive differentiators of high-performing organizations. To leave it out is to create a correct but flawed uh, testing environment. And, and so drawing conclusions from that flawed environment is, is likely going to be flawed. It's helpful. It's a good data point, but too many managers I know say, I read somewhere that eight is the number. Okay, fine. And, and look, it's one of those cases where I thought I was supposed to go left. No, then I thought I was supposed to go right. I'm just going to go straight. When in fact, the original guidance was go straight. Well, you made the right decision for perhaps the wrong reasons. 
and look, one, one more thing I got to talk about. It's not the number of people. It's the number of relationships that matter. Okay. This is Horseman's Law of Relationships. And, and what's funny about this is it actually comes from my experience watching people raise kids, um, but, but it still holds true. You know, when I was a father, I noted that when folks I knew went from having two kids to having three kids in their home, things got notably harder for them. Look, going from zero to one is surely hard. That's, you know, Horseman's Law of Creation. That's always the toughest incremental change going from zero to one. Going from one to two is much easier than going from zero to one, even though they're the same. You're only adding one more, right? And going from one to two is really not that hard, according to a lot of parents. But two, going from two to three just really throws people. And, I, and one day I realized pretty simply why. It's not the number of children in this situation, you've added one more, but rather the number of sibling relationships that matter. With one kid, you have zero sibling relationships. With two kids, you only have one relationship, okay? But three kids, now you have three relationships. Basically, you add one child, but you triple the number of sibling relationships you have to deal with. You have A to B, A to C, and B to C, you know, if you would name your kids A, B, and C. And I've got four kids, so I, I, I must be a, a parenting god. That's what You I'm are. Saying. In fact, you are. I bow to thee, sir. Um <laughs> And the math here works. It, it, it's basically combinations of two of the number on the team. If you assume order is important, which it is in terms of relationships, and rep repetition isn't allowed. You don't want to list A to A because that's not a relationship uh, unless you have a real problem, separate problem. Whether we're talking about siblings or adults, this is essentially a combination, not a permutation problem. Think of the math this way. When we get to eight team members, eight seems fine in our head except that there are 28 relationships among those eight people. And all of those relationships essentially have greater chance in most organizations to reduce success rather than increase it. And frankly, you know, that's a lot of relationships. It's a lot of chances for friction. So it is not just the number, but rather the number of relationships that they create that makes the difference. And, and if you think 28, you think, wow, maybe that's too big. That's a good taking care number or idea so that you say, I, you know, I'm not going to climb much past, much past eight. And, yeah. and, and look, that just brings us to the final point. And I suggest it even get, gets worse because it's not just the 28 relationships on the team. Now your team as an organization has relationships with folks outside external to the organization. Oh. And so if, if you got five key customers or five organizations that you support, think of all the, the relationships that get added there. So it just gets worse when you start looking right. external to yeah. the organization. And the point of all this is communication follows relationships, not team size. The needs for communication are on an eight-person team are not eight times the needs on a two-person team. They're 28 times the needs, okay? That means a lot of time spent internally communicating. That's why when we get close to 15, uh, or when you go, actually, when you you know, when you get over 10, really, and you get to age 15, it's really obvious. Managers start wanting internal resources. They want infrastructure for the team. And the fact is, internally communicating, most of us as managers aren't that good at it yet. And, and by the way, folks, what's the number of relationships for a 15-person team? 105. Hmm. So it's, uh, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> it's hard. Wow. Look, overarching, the simple overarching point here, when you're forming a team, how many you choose to put on the team makes a difference. Even if you choose your people wisely, 
too many or too few can foil the best laid plans. And that's why we did this cast to give you a place to start in your analysis. Excellent. So quick wrap up, start at eight people, 15 for 95% of the professionals we know is just too large. One team leader, please. One team leader. And then we covered some background as to why we think this is all true. Yep. 105 relationships for a 15-person team. Yeah. I think I'll, I think I'll avoid that. <laughs> That's why we have mathematicians in the world to do factorials for us. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, join us on the discussion forums www.managertools.com forward slash forums. We'll see you there. So long, folks. <laughs>